Welcome to Kidmin Talk. This is Carl Bastian, a.k.a. The Kidologist. Today is my birthday, and in honor of my birthday, I want to give you a present on Kidmin Talk. If you've been around Kidology.org a while, you know that Kidology is more than just a fun word. It is a way of ministry. Kidology is a term I coined as a rookie kids pastor back in the mid-90s to describe a kid-focused approach to children's ministry. Some of you who are newer to Kidology may not have had the benefit of learning about the Kidology approach to ministry. So today, I want to give you the gift of an edited presentation of my classic workshop that I've given to hundreds over the years, from the volunteers at my very first church to many at children's pastors conferences and in many other venues. Now, this isn't the entire workshop. I've shortened it for a podcast attention span and because some things are still best left for a live presentation. But it covers the basic introduction of what it means to approach children's ministry as cross-cultural ministry. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Kidology Handbook, my training handbook that gives away so many of my ministry secrets that if you haven't downloaded this massive PDF, you really are missing out on a tool that will equip both you and your volunteers. I've yet to see another training tool like it in Kidman. So I hope you'll enjoy today's presentation of Kidology 101 here on Kidman Talk. Welcome to Kidology 101. First workshop title I ever came up with way back at the very beginning when I was a brand new children's pastor. That was the title of my first teacher training when I was a brand new children's pastor. Came up with that title because I wanted to encourage my teachers to approach children's ministry from within the context of the world of children. Got into children's ministry as a child. In fact, when I got into children's ministry, it was because I was a kid, and I went home, and I said to my mom, I want to be a children's evangelist when I grew up, and she said, what's growing up got to do with anything? You start next Wednesday. And so I began serving God as a child, and uh, so I started teaching as a kid and ministering as a child, and uh, by the time I was 12, I was traveling around uh, serving God as a child, and, and then by the time I was in college, I was uh, teaching. I never really realized the impact that that made until I was a young children's pastor, and I was teaching in the inner city of Chicago, and I had tons of inner city kids mixed with suburban kids, and I was teaching them, and I didn't have any discipline issues, and uh, my, my girlfriend was helping me, who's now my wife, and I started to have adults coming and studying me and asking me questions about my philosophy of ministry and my teaching techniques, and I was going, I don't know, I just do what I do. I don't have a philosophy of ministry. I don't have a teaching techniques. I just do what I do. And um, I actually owe a lot of figuring out what I was doing and why it was working to just a church newspaper editor, her name was Ardeth Ward, who wrote the, just the church newspaper for Moody Church who did a little interview on this Moody student who was teaching children's church at the Moody Church, uh, who did a little piece on, hey, we got this Moody student doing children's church. And so she started interviewing me for this newspaper for the Moody Church. And so she was asking me questions about, well, how did you get into kids' ministry? And when did you start? So I told her the story that I've shared earlier today. So she wrote a nice little article, and uh, but it was outside of the article that she really helped me understand that, that I was really strange. Yeah. Thank you for not laughing. But she helped me understand that most grown-up 
to do what the Apostle Paul said, that when they became a man, they threw away childish things and became a man, and that I had never really done that <laughs> because I stayed in the world of children. In fact, I'd always wanted a, a brother. Uh, I had a lot of sisters. See, I had more sisters than I knew what to do with. In fact, I've been saying that for so many years that someone finally asked me, Carl, how many sisters did you have? Two. <laughs> That's a lot of sisters, though, when you're a boy. And so I finally, every Christmas, every birthday, every Easter, every Groundhog Day, I mean, anytime my parents asked me, Carl, what do you want? I said, a brother. And they're like, well, all right, we know you want a brother, but is there anything, you know, besides a brother, you know, another Star Wars action figure, you know, Lego kit, something that we can go to the store and buy, you know? And, uh, and I'd say, well, if you can't give me a brother, fine, I'll take another Star Wars toy or another Lego kit. Well, you got to hand it to my parents. They got me a brother two days off my birthday, all right? That's pretty good timing. you got to hand it to them, you know? And uh, in fact, on my 13th birthday, my party was in the hospital room. My mom's water bag had already broke. And in fact, I was trying to induce labor on my mother. I'm like pushing on her stomach, you know? And uh, nurses, you had to kind of pull me off of her. And uh, those were the longest two days of my life on September 19th, 1983, as, as I was like, come on, Mom, it's my birthday. I just want to open my present. That's all I want. It's right there. We already knew it was a boy, so come on, give, give me my present, you know. So I had to wait two whole days until finally I was given my birthday present of a brother. The only problem with getting a brother when you're 13 is he's useless <laughs> for like two years, you know, and, and the, 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 the stories of me putting an infant in a little sleeper on my BMX bike and riding him around the neighborhood and crashing, coming home with a bloody-faced little infant. Oh, man, the stories I could tell of me trying to play with an infant, you know, because I was 13 and I wanted to play with this little thing that just pooped and slept. But finally, you know, he got old enough that he was a little more useful. But he kept me in the world of children. And so I was into whatever my brother was into, and that kept me in the world of children. And what's kind of been weird is now he's a Major League Baseball reporter. He is left behind the world of children, and now I'm still in the world of children, and he's matured and become a man, and I still haven't. But, uh, but he kept me in the world of children. And so Ardeth Ward helped me recognize that the reason I had this kind of strange connection is that the way I taught was different because I used things from the world of children in my teaching and all my object lessons and all my illustrations and all my jokes and even my lingo and the way I talked. It was as though I was one of them and she was the one that made me realize I was a missionary, that I was, it's like I was in their culture talking their language, using their artifacts and she said, you know, most people don't teach that way and she said adults need help to know how to do that. And so that's when, I, when Kidology was born, because she said, you've got to train adults to become missionaries to children and teach within their culture, because most don't do that. They're, they're trying to teach from up here and get kids to come into their world, and what you do is you go into their world and teach them, and that's why they don't misbehave, and they don't, you don't have any discipline problems, because they view you as one of them. Not that you're immature, but that they view you as a big kid in their world teaching them. And that's where technology came from. And so the aim of this workshop is to challenge and equip adults to engage in relational ministry through a working knowledge of the culture of kids. See, teacher training always bored me to death, and I hated teaching teacher training. How many of you hate going to teacher training? Because it's all about hook, look, book, and took, and teaching techniques. And you can be a good teacher, but if you're just a good teacher, 
there's this disconnect between you and the kids. I mean, there's one thing about being a good teacher, but if you don't relate to kids, if kids don't feel a connection to you, it doesn't matter how good a teacher you are, it, it, it doesn't make any difference. In fact, you've probably observed, or if you haven't, I'll just tell you it's a reality. There are lousy teachers, embarrassingly, cringingly, horrible teachers who connect with kids magically. And, and, and I just like, oh, they're horrible. I, I almost want to fire them. But the kids love them and connect with them. And I go, if I could only make them a good teacher, <laughs> it'd be so much better. And I'd almost rather have them in the classroom than a really great professionally trained school teacher who can't connect with kids. Now, I'd, I'd rather have both. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, it shouldn't be either or. But sometimes we, we're so into teaching them how to teach and we're missing the other. But the best is to have them be relational teaching. So what is kidology? Kidology is the study of kids, how they think, how they relate, communicate, and learn but also their world. And so often in children's ministry, I think it's that world piece that we miss. You didn't used to see anything about the world of kids. When I, when I was beating this drum 15, 20 years ago, nobody else was talking about the world of kids. And I'm so glad to have seen that other people are getting that now. But the world of kids is as important as teaching kids. It used to be all about the data we have to get them and not about the world. So kidology is about how kids think, how they relate, how they communicate, not just the knowledge that we need to give them. You've got to think of kids as cross-cultural ministries. If I were to say to you, anyone know what that means? Well, I just said it's a pleasure to meet you in Tagalog. Now, if I were to say it, you know, more sternly, does that help? Or more clearly, that doesn't help. I could have Bob and Larry say it in a video. If you don't speak Tagalog, it doesn't matter how creatively or how visually or how modern technology, it doesn't matter how I say it's not going to help you. If you don't speak the language, no media is going to help you. And the same is true in children's ministry. Unless you become a cross-cultural communicator, you're not going to communicate with kids. And children's ministry is cross-cultural willing to become a missionary to kids, you're not going to communicate with them. And kids are a different culture. And you've got to be willing to be a missionary. Now, in the mission field, you go and you learn the language, you learn the artifacts, you have to immerse yourself. Now, you're never quite a part of their culture. I mean, they know you're not one of them, right? They appreciate that you try. <laughs> and they can tell whether you're coming in there with a superior attitude or whether you're going in trying. And kids can tell whether you've got a superior attitude or whether you're trying or not. Well, their language is humor, all right? So I'm going to give you some tips, all right? You've got to learn what makes kids laugh, and you've got to learn their humor. Telling jokes, it's not that simple. Kids don't get jokes anyway, all right? Kids tell jokes because they think that that's what we think is funny. The only way we know how to be funny is to tell jokes. And so when we sit around and want to be funny, we tell each other jokes. Kids don't need to tell joke to be funny. They, 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 life is funny to them. I mean, they, they laugh at things. They laugh at people, all right? They laugh at situations, all right? They see the humor in life. I mean, they, you know, and we think laughing at people is funny. Well, they, they, they see the humor in funny things. Now, sometimes that can be mean, but they're seeing the humor in things. Here, here's one of the most powerful things 
and I call it the imaginative if. And I'll give you an example of, of, of what I mean. I, I get into this all the time with kids. And, and it's when I, I got picked up to speak at a conference several years ago, and it was a long drive. Uh, he brought his two sons along because they wanted to meet the Toy Box Tail guy. I don't know if you know what Toy Box Tales are. Uh, toyboxtales.com is a website full of videos that I make with toys talking, and they tell Bible stories and things. So we were driving, and as we were driving in the car in this long drive, there was a target under construction. But it was a little unusual. I don't know if the foreman was doing things in a weird order, but the parking lot was completed, complete with blacktop and stripes, and the sign was up and lit, said Target. The walls of the Target building had already been built with doorways and windows, but there was no roof, and inside we could see there was a dirt floor. And for whatever reason, I don't know whether I had started the conversation or one of the boys really is up for grabs who started it. But we started talking about what if the Target store was, got opened, but they never put the floor or the roof on. And we spent 45 minutes of this two-hour drive discussing this, how it would rain and all the clothes would get dirty, and how we could take the dirt bikes and we could ride the dirt bikes down the aisles and we could spit them out and throw dirt on the girls' clothes, you know. And how we could take the BB guns and we could go shoot in the jars of food and blow them up and food would get all over everything. And I mean, we just were going on and on about all, the, all this, you know, the things you could do. I mean, just imagine how much fun you could have in a Target store with a roof and dirt floor. I mean, hopefully you can have fun with this line of thought. And we were going on, we were laughing and we were talking. And it, it didn't occur to me that Mark was not talking at all during this entire conversation. Well, the next morning... You know, we drove to the, to the Saturday uh, conference thing, and, and, I, and I did my shtick. And then on the ride back to the airport, he, uh, he said, well, Carl, I, I got to tell you, I have to ask for your forgiveness. I'm like, oh. And he said, I, I, was, I was really upset with you this morning. I said, oh. I'm, you know, I'm thinking I, I said something at the conference to offend him. And he said, no, you, you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, he said, but I just need to ask you forgiveness because I was really angry at you this morning. He said, this morning when I got up, my boys were all dressed up um, with their Sunday shirt and ties on at the door ready to go. And I had to tell them they couldn't come to the conference. When I explained to them that they couldn't come, they started to cry. And, and I tried to explain to them that they couldn't come, that the conference was for adults only. It got really ugly. And he said they, they wept and they cried. And, and he said, and they had things they had to do today, so it really wasn't an option. And they had to take off their suits and put on other things. And he said, they've never wept for me. And, and they just met you the night before. And he said, uh, I was really angry because they've never cried for me. And he said, um, I really didn't understand why until you explained the imaginative if in your workshop. And he said, I realized it was that target conversation and the night before. And he said, um, and I also have to tell you, I was really irritated during that whole target conversation because the whole time I was thinking, that is so stupid. <laughs> they would never open a stupid Target store without a roof and a floor. Enough already. And he said, I'm convinced that was what bonded you to my boys. And he said, I just want you to know it's totally going to change the way I relate to my boys. He said, you bonded with them because you went into their imaginary world for 45 minutes, so much so that they wanted to spend the whole next, the rest of the day with you. And he said, I want my boys to cry to want to be with you. And he said, I get it now. I get it. And I said, well, I, there's nothing to forgive. But see, the power of bonding with kids and connecting with kids is going into their world and just living there with them. And it's powerful. And so you got to, but you got to learn to talk their language. Telling them a Bible story is great, but it was more powerful for me to talk about a Target store with no roof and no floor. So you got to learn their language, all right?
learn their work, and their work is play. Now, we're, we're pretty pathetic here, too, i got to tell you. Us grown-ups, we're just a mess. We have to schedule play. We, ha- we have to schedule vacations, and we have to schedule play. Kids, it's the other way around. Our life is our work, and we have to schedule out play. Kids, it's the other way around. Their life is play. They're playing from the moment they wake up to the moment we finally make them go to sleep. They have to schedule work. They have to schedule when they go to school, schedule when they practice the piano, schedule when they do their homework, and we schedule a lot of that for them. But their default mode is play until they're made to work. Our default mode is work until we're made to play. It shouldn't be that way, by the way. But kids, play is their work, and we need to learn to play with them, all right? and to be playful. And when you enter into play with kids, it's amazing. I have a rule in my home, now that I work at home, that if my son, Max sleep really well. Max are great. You just close the lid, and they come back to life instantly in two and a half seconds. If my son enters my room, I shut my computer, and I play with him instantly. If I really need to get work done, I go work at Chipotle. I go work at a restaurant. If I really need to not be interrupted, because I want him to know that if he's in my presence, He's the priority. And so there's times that's really hard to do. But I've decided that, that I want him to know that my default is play. He comes in, I slap that lid down, I get out of my chair, and I start rolling with him on the floor. If I can't do that, I get out of the house. All right? And all too soon he's going to be in school, and I'll have the whole six hours. But I want him to know that my default is playfulness with him. All right? You've got to make sure that you play with kids. You play with them in the hallway. Play with them at church, you know, play with them in the room. I had one guy tell me after a seminar, I said when I go into the classrooms, I walk around the church, I wave in the doorway, and as the door closes, it catches on my arm, and I go, ah, and I do this whole turnaround thing with my arm, that was close, (laughs) in the door, and then I finally pull my arm out. A guy said that he went back to his church, and that was the single best thing he applied from my seminar to his ministry. That's sad. (laughs) But he said, that just changed the kid's perception of him because he was kind of the guy that went around checking the clipboards and making sure the teachers were in their rooms. And when he went home and started catching his arms in the doors, the kids would crack up and go, you didn't go to our room. They wanted him just to drop in the room so he could catch his arm in the door. Just that funny thing changed their perceptions of him from being the, the clipboard checking, you know, do you have the supplies to just being a funny guy, all right? So play with the kids. You start learning their language, all right? So be playful with the kids and learn their stuff. Kids' stuff is toys. You've got to keep up with kids. I know we use toys and object lessons. That's fine. But you've got to have your own toys, all right? I forgot to bring my lightsaber. I always have trouble in security, especially when it accidentally goes off and goes through their machine and, you know, oh, you know Homeland Security. And, you know, that's why it's an orange alert now from the last time I went through. But, um... But, you know, I have my own lightsaber. I made it on a lathe, and it looks awesome, and I have so much fun with my lightsaber. Like the time I went to Radio Shack, and I went in there, and, and I'm not going to mention the girl was blonde because that always offends people, but I went into Radio Shack, and I popped off my, my lightsaber, which I've drilled in and put little buttons and knobs and things on it. And I said to the, to the girl that I'm not going to mention was blonde that um, I said, well, your commercials say that uh, if we have questions, you have answers, right? And she says, oh, yeah. And I said, well, I can't get my lightsaber to work, and, uh, and so I just wonder if I, if I could get some help. Well, I thought she would just, like, laugh, you know. She goes, well, I don't really know how those work. Um, let me get the manager. So I thought, well, I'm going to see how far this can, thing can go. 
So she goes and gets the manager, and the manager comes out, and he's this sharp-looking manager guy. And I thought, okay, well, this isn't going to go very far. I just said to the manager, holding my lightsaber, which does look pretty real. I mean, I did it on a lathe, and my wife helped me paint it, and it's got a couple of knobs and a charger button and every, you know, stuff. It looks pretty cool, but still a lightsaber. So I said to him, I said, sir, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm sure you had more important things to do, but I was just explaining to your associate here that I've constructed my own lightsaber, and I can't get it to work, and so I would asked her for some assistance, and I'm really sorry that she went and got you, um, but that's what I asked. And he goes, hmm, well, let me take a look at it. Okay, I'm going to ride this train as far as it'll go. So I hand him the lightsaber. He's looking it over. He's careful not to point it at himself, I observed. And in the front, I found some really cool little metal gizmo at Home Depot that looked pretty cool. So he's kind of looking at it. He's, uh, can I push the button? I said, sure, it doesn't work. So he clicks the button a couple times, and there's a knob. He goes, what does this knob do? I said, well, that's, that's intended. I didn't want to ever lie. So I said, well, that's intended to control the length of the beam. Uh, I said, I read in a novel that they can go from three inches to three feet. And he goes, okay. And I said, that's the on-off switch. He goes, okay. And I said, that's the safety switch. He goes, okay. And uh, then there was a little thing for a charger. And he said, what's this? I said, well, that's the charger. I, uh, it fits an old uh, laptop charger that I have. And he goes, well, what does it go to? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, is, is there nickel metal cadmium or is it lithium what kind of batteries do you have in here and i said well there's nothing inside it's just solid wood i just bought that on the shelf over there drilled a hole and glued it in <laughs> and, he, and then all of a sudden i saw like this light bulb go off and he's like uh it's too early in the morning for this <laughs> he hands it to me <laughs> just hands it to me turns around and walks away but you know I, I had that made when star wars was making its big comeback back in 1999 when the episode one came out so I had that made, and I, was, I wore it with just with street clothes, but I wore it every day for a couple of weeks. And we're in this crowded Dairy Queen when I'm wearing that. And my wife wouldn't stand with three feet of me whenever I was wearing that. But we're in this Dairy Queen, and, this, the, and I'm deaf in one ear, by the way. This one's just a decoration. It doesn't do anything but, but hold on sunglasses. And we're in this crowded Dairy Queen, and my, my wife heard the, all this. I, I'm deaf, so I didn't hear this. But my wife heard this boy say to her dad, Dad! Dad! That guy over there is a Jedi. She moved a foot away, and the dad said, uh, son, I, I don't think that's a Jedi. No, dad, that's a Jedi Knight. Uh, son, I'm, I'm sure that's not a Jedi Knight. No, dad, that's a Jedi Knight. He's got a lightsaber. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's not a lightsaber. No, dad, that's a lightsaber. That is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. That guy is a Jedi Knight. Um, son, I'm... I'm positive that is not a Jedi Knight, nor is that a lightsaber. No, Dad, I know lightsabers. That is a Jedi Knight. Well, this good father wanted to help his son distinguish between fact and fiction. So at this point, the father walks over to me and taps me on the shoulder. And he turns to me, and my wife's gone. I mean, she's... I'm like, where'd Sarah go? And he says to me, uh, sorry to bother you, sir, but I was just kind of curious what that was on your belt. So I snapped it off and I said, oh, it's a lightsaber. And I hear the boy go, told you! And he says, oh, and why do you have a lightsaber? So, because I'm a Jedi Knight. And the kid's like, whoa. 
He goes, thank you. <laughs> and um, so I said, I want a lightsaber. He goes, oh. I said, oh. And the kid's like, turn it on. I said, well, I would turn it on, but it's kind of crowded in here. And actually, Oaklawn, Illinois has a local ordinance forbidding the turning on of lightsabers in a public facility. And uh, he's like, that's when he goes, thank you, sir. <laughs> like, you're just destroying my parenting here. So I said, well, actually, I'm not a Jedi Knight. I'm a children's pastor, and all the kids in my church are really into Star Wars right now. And uh, so I'm kind of getting into it for them. Well, what's a children's pastor? Well, you know what a pastor is, right? Yeah. Well, children's pastor is like a pastor, except it's for children. So I teach the children's service. And just like grown-ups need to know that God loves them and sent Jesus to die for their sins on the cross. And if they accept Christ as their Savior, they can go for heaven. Kids need to know that too. And so I teach that to children. And I visit them in the hospital when they're sick and, and uh, teach them about the Bible. And that's what I do. I just do the same that pastors do for grown-ups. I just do it for kids. And I say, don't you think the kids need to know about God just like grown-ups do? Yeah. And I get to give the gospel in a nutshell in a Dairy Queen. Where else would I get to do that? I mean, I've, I've used these peepers. You know, I carry these little peepers around, and I'll be in restaurants, and I'll, I'll be uh, entertaining at the table. And, you know, the great thing about these is you get them out, and you get kids laughing, and as soon as the mom looks, you put it down, and you go back to being a boring grown-up. Mom looks, why is her kids laughing? As soon as she looks away, you have it, you know, drinking off a straw, you know, eating a French fry, you know, use a French drop, you know, where you drop it into the palm of your hand. Kids are cracking up. Mom looks. You're back to being a boring grown-up. <laughs> Finally, you let the mom catch you. You walk up, introduce yourself. Well, I'm sorry if I was distracting your kids, but I'm a children's pastor. I love kids. Oh, what, what church? Tell them about your church. Take out church business card. I've had whole families start coming to my church because of a toy that connected with kids. This thing's powerful. But see, when you connect with kids with toys from their world, it's powerful. It's, it's their culture. It's their world. But you've got to have toys that are your own, all right? Not just object lessons. They're your own. When I go out to work at a place, I take an action figure or something out of my briefcase and I prop it up. I've had kids go, Dad, he's got a Boba Fett. <laughs> and I've had a kid walk by and go, what's it with the Boba Fett? Oh, I'm a big Star Wars fan. We get into talking about Star Wars. Actually, the conversation comes around to, well, I'm a children's pastor. Here's my business card. It's my ticket to a conversation. And kids don't think it's strange that you have a toy. Because they think when they grow up, they're going to have toys too. They think it's strange that grown-ups outgrow toys. All right? So you got to ask yourself, what are kids into? All right? And you got to go outside your comfort zone. All right, guys, you got to know about girls' stuff. And if you have daughters, it's a little easier. But when I wasn't even a parent, I, I worked hard to know what kids are into. I would know what the American Girl dolls were so that even when I'd be on an airplane, you know, and I'd see a Samantha doll, I could go, hey, how you doing, Samantha? They go, oh, you must be a dad. And I'd say, no, I'm a children's pastor. What's a children's pastor? I love that question. All right? But being up on the video games, having your own video game systems, even the old systems, they love those. All right? But there's lots of ideas for keeping current with kids. All right? There's a whole bunch in the Kidology Handbook, a whole page. But, you know, going to Toys R Us and going to the top ten selling toys. All right? Subscribing to Nickelodeon Magazine. Be prepared to be offended by some of the stuff you'll read in there. Okay? But subscribing to kids' magazines, all right? Going on the web, going into toy stores. Go to KB Toys, all right? You know what that stands for, right? Carl Bastion Toys. <laughs> I even have a KB Toy shirt. I got a manager to give me one. So I wear it in there and go, hey, straighten this up. 
Chip that up. What are you doing? I try and act like I'm a manager and see if I can get 10% off, all right? But ultimately, our goal, kidology or in relational ministry, it's not to try and get kids to come into our world. It's for us to go into their world and minister to them. The Apostle Paul said for us to become all things to all men so that they might be reached. Now, he wasn't specifically talking about children's ministry, but he was talking about ministry, any kind of ministry. You know, he did that with the Greeks. We can do that with kids. You know, it doesn't mean becoming immature. It doesn't mean becoming a clown. But it does mean learning their world, learning their toys. And the cool thing about kids' ministry, it's plain old fun. We get to play with toys, you know, and we get to do a lot of fun things. But we can't lose sight of, of the real goal, and that is to communicate the gospel and teach the Word of God. But, man, kids' ministry is a, is a lot of fun. But it's serious business. It's, it's fun for, for a very noble goal. That's what kidology is all about. Thanks. Time's up. Well, I hope you enjoyed this very special birthday edition of Kidman Talk. Remember, you can help shape the show by asking questions, letting me know what you would like me to cover on Kidman Talk. You can email me at carl at kidmantalk.com. You can use Twitter at Kidman Talk. Or you can interact in the forum. I would love to have some discussion on today's workshop. What did you think? Do you have any questions, any great stories? Just click on the show notes at the bottom. And I'm going to be picking one person from the discussion on this show, and I will send you a free copy of the Kidology Handbook. It's a 143-page training manual on a wide variety of topics in children's ministry. So if you don't have the Kidology Handbook, be sure to check it out. Until next time, this is Carl on Kidman Talk.